This is a Media Lab podcast. Dave, what are the most iconic movie lines for you? Hey, you guys. That's a pretty good one. And, uh... What, wait, sorry. <laughs> wait. From where? Goodness, right? Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about, like, Abbott and Costello. Like, that's, <laughs> in, like, an old bit from the 30s. I'm like, there's no way that's what you're referencing. <laughs> yeah. I'll be back, of course. Yeah, I don't know. What, what, are, what are good ones? You talking to me? Yeah. I don't know. I oh Yeah, you talk, you're talking to me. I mean, I am a big fan. You, you know my love of Jaws. So, to me, the, one of the most iconic ones is we're going to need a bigger boat. Right. I'll have what she's having from when Harry met Sally. Oh, my God. I'm t- totally just blanking on the one I was... Uh, As You Wish oh. uh, from Princess, Princess Bride. Bride. Do you like apples? Right. Um, <laughs> I want to know the truth. You can't handle the truth. That's a big one. Although that might be dating us. We're, we're staying in the sort of 80s and 90s. I mean, you could literally fill a whole book from Casablanca. There's some great lines. Round up the usual yep. suspects. Yep. Here's looking at you, kid. Uh, play it again. I, I always find it interesting which lines permeate the culture like that. Because there's occasionally been movies like the classics and stuff. It's like, you know, this is like a famous line that like so many people quote. I'm like, why was it? Why was mm. that the line that people like? grabbed onto and has stayed with us and i think dirty harry which we're going to be talking about here this week the series of dirty harry movies has like three of them what is it why why are those the the lines that we remember yeah, i don't know i i think we've talked about film auteurs i think perhaps this script writing thing although you know it'd be interesting is if we back track and discover how many of them are actually ad-libbed but if they're actually penned into the script then there will be, as we'll learn, some people that can apparently come up with uh, catchphrases all the fucking time. But they also have to be buried in movies that capture whatever cultural consciousness at the moment. So True. It has to be a popular movie. It has to be something that, yeah, enough people are seeing that they want to uh, quote it. And then it just becomes part of our lexicon. Yeah. yeah. Most of them, I'm trying to think, most of them have to be these gaspy, cheery moments. Like I, I just thought of, uh, you know, I am your father. Dog, just a quick aside, Emerson reads Dogman and Dogman ruined Empire for him. Oh yeah, no. Yeah, because they use the trope and he's like, look, and I'm like, no, no, you haven't seen Empire. You can't do this. He's <laughs> jumping across the couch <laughs> trying the to book, grab it Yeah, But that's, you know, you have these moments where you're like, oh my God, that can't, you know, mm-hmm. so... There's something, there's something intentional about it, but I'm not a writer, so I couldn't tell you if there's a process or a program or some type of structure that develops. It's just a bunch of monkeys on typewriters in a lonely room. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this, Dave, because I'm so goddamn bored of being stuck on this spaceship, just docked here because of this stupid mechanical failure. I'm hoping, hoping against hope, that I see someone walking down the street sometime with a t-shirt that just says deep and rich fiction (laughs) oh man unless we sell it that will never happen (laughs) (laughs) oh ye of little faith on a rinky dig spaceship headed back to earth kyle and dave are stuck on board with an evil machine this giant robot is forcing them to watch films it picks if they don't obey then it'll be the end of the world again This is mostly Kyle's fault, but he's not going to face an apocalypse alone, especially not on this ship that seems to be held together with tape and imagination. This is Kyle and Dave versus The Machine.
Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the Machine. My name is Kyle. I'm David. And I'm the Machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine was forcing us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. And then another apocalypse happened. Somehow it's used its powers to transport us across time and space. So now we're on our way back to Earth. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to. Although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today we're going to be watching the film Dirty Harry. Harry Callahan. And a homicidal maniac. The one with the badge is Harry. They called him Dirty Harry. And he kept inventing new ones. I do want to give a big thanks to our patrons, Green Girl YYC, and It's a Conspiracy podcast. But you know what, Dave? I was thinking that in order to talk about this movie that is now 50 years old, about a cop who is just done with this shit, there's no better person to ask than Gene Hackman. than Gene Hackman. So welcome everyone, <laughs> Gene Hackman. No, I'm going in the complete opposite direction of a YouTuber, young person, who is going to tell us all the things that maybe this movie does or does not hold up with. All right, so I'm going to just uh, dial him up here on our little space phone. Ooh, rotary. Matt, Matt Mort, is that you? Hello. Hi. Who's this? Are, are you getting good? Are you are you getting good? It's Kyle and Dave. Oh, we've Kyle. Only been, we've only been missing for like the last f- uh, four or five months here now. Okay. <laughs> when you're when you're hearing this, but Hi. I like I was telling you, Dave, I don't think there's any better person than you, like YouTube editor extraordinaire, content creator, to talk about a movie that was made 50 years ago that I'm assuming most of the people in your generation have never watched. Yep. So of course you're the best person to talk about this. Of course. Fr- a fresh set of eyes. Yeah, a fresh set of eyes. I should ask, do you have time to watch the movie Dirty Harry? Yeah, I can. I'll just cancel some plans, I guess. and then. Yeah, good. Perfect. Cancel those plans. Sure. They're not important. That's fine. You yeah. picked you uh, pick the call up. I mean, it's not our fault. Just my <laughs> nephew's birthday. That's all. Yeah, that's, 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 that's on you. That's on you. I think this is where we need to start here then as a group. And we'll start with you, Matt. What is your history, your knowledge uh, of Clint Eastwood, the man? Uh, I took film studies in high school and watched uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Great. Followed by the remakes that it was inspired by. And then uh, I don't remember what those were called, but it's some Japanese film. Um, Wow. And uh, (laughs) that's it, I think. Yeah. Oh, no. So really just that movie. Yeah, it was Fistful of Dollars. Yeah, okay. So you know him from like the spaghetti western oh, phase my of his first, career. My first introduction to Clint Eastwood was actually um, the one of his later films when he's like some guy. I, I just remember it being like a really dark film. He's at a house and he's trying to protect the house. Oh, Get Gran Torino. Gran Torino. Yeah, yeah. Gran Torino. Never seen Get it. Off but my that was my first. That's another. To him. Speaking of catchphrases. Also, we can agree his very best film. Uh, how about you, Dave? What's your history with? Mr. Clint Eastwood. Oh, Clint Eastwood's a classic. Uh, he can do no wrong. 
And um, yeah, growing uh, up, movie wise or personal life, are we talking <laughs> oh, we'll talk about his personal life. Okay, uh, but he's made so many classic films, and up to this date, he wins Oscars. I mean, now he's kind of getting a little tired. He is turning how old, Kyle? He is ninety one. Yeah, so he's uh, yeah. he's and still making movies. He's, there's a new movie coming out this year that he directed, and he he's just a fascinating, larger than life character. And you would think that he's two dimensional, but he's not. You know? No, like yeah. okay, we will let, let's get into that in like some of the context setting because like as soon as you think you figured out Clint Eastwood, he like pulls the rug out from him. I'm like, what? Like how is how is this a person? Anyways, we'll get into that. Uh, um, yeah, and then movie wise, yeah, everything from westerns to action movies to dramas. I've seen almost romances. Everything. He's been in romance Comedies, films. Like it's yeah. weird. I actually asked this question on Twitter. And there's some people that come close, but I feel confident in saying I do not think that there is a single person who started their career as like an actor, was very successful at that, switched over to directing, and then was super successful at that for as long as he has been. So he has been making movies for 50 years because his first movie he directed came out in this same year, in 1971, and he has made 40 feature films. In 50 years. And a bunch of them are super successful. Like they make box office. They're critically acclaimed. He's won best director twice. And like as of like 2014. He had the number one box office movie of the year. At 85 or whatever that was. 84. In 2014. And then his lo- in 2014. Yeah. What? So American Sniper was the number oh, one movie. I didn't even direct that. He did. He's directed and then his everything. La- and then of the five movies. Uh, which American Sniper is one of them, but from the last five movies, three of them box office hits. So again, th- I do not think that there's anyone who comes even close to that type of career and they're in their 90s and are still making movies. Yeah. The only other people that people brought up is like, you can maybe make the the argument for uh, Ron Howard, acted on television, mm. was famous for American Graffiti, has won awards and stuff like that, but it's like, I don't know if he's had as high of highs as what Clint Eastwood has had in his like acting, um, career. Uh, dire- acting and directing careers. That's the only one that I thought came close. There's some other people that just their careers didn't last long. Like Barbara Streisand, you could maybe make an, an argument for, but she only made three movies. Well, that's, like, so they, there's not this longevity that he has had. That's the other thing about Clint is that he's made successful, award-winning, critically acclaimed films from the beginning through 50. It's not yeah. like he had this peak. And all of a sudden, after you know thirty shit yeah. films, he finally made a banger. It's like the right. first movie yeah, we're gonna I watch would... it. His first directorial debut, a feature feature film, apparently is very good. That yeah, we'll asshole. See. Yeah, uh, we'll see. I, I honestly would say, yeah, if you want to, just the twenty. <laughs> I know it's a twenty year period, but literally from like ninety two to two thousand nine, like that is gold. And, and, if you just had that in your career, people would be like, yeah, I've had an amazing career. And that was only like a third of his career. Anyways, that's that's Clint Eastwood. Um, Fan Matt boy. Mort. Yeah, it's great. Well, yeah, it's hard not to. I don't know. It's, it's He's a weird dude. Matt, how about Dirty Harry? Like, obviously, you have not seen this movie before, but have you heard of it? Like, do you know anything about the movie Dirty Harry? Uh, Yeah, I've heard of it. Um, the only thing I really know about Dirty Harry is there's a gorilla song called Dirty Harry. And, right, right. Uh, the song and there's Clint also Eastwood. a gorilla song called Clint Eastwood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's about it. 
Did you know any of like the famous catchphrases that came from it at all? No. No, okay. Just as a little thought experiment, because um, Dave doesn't believe me. And you went to film school, so maybe this is a bad example. But have you heard of a movie called The French Connection? Yeah. Okay, damn it. Okay, whatever. <laughs> yes, my, yeah, Matt. You're my man. This is why we trust him. This is why we trust him. This is why we have him. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> it won the Oscar, Kyle. I, mean, I don't know what you're expecting here. I know, I know. I'm just saying that I think Dirty Harry has more name recognition than the French connection, no. in my personal opinion. No. But. Mm. We'll talk about but that, too. But is it too. Criterion? No, it's not. But <laughs> that, that is correct. It is not. Uh, Dave, how about you? Have you seen any of the Dirty Harry movies? Because it, it was a series. I just I, I just want to quickly thank Matt for uh, rubbing that in your face with the Criterion comment. That was <laughs> great. that right That's in my eyes, yeah. Fucking awesome. Um, yeah, I've watched Dirty Harry before. I remember liking it, but that it's uh, it's very violent. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what exactly. I, you know, the only thing that comes to mind is there's rooftops. That's that's the thing that uh, piques my interest. And then the catchphrase, uh, do you feel lucky, punk? Yeah. Um, right. And I think that's, uh, that's a thing. The other thing is the Clint Eastwood-ness of it, where he's just this stoic gritty squinty tooth, eyes. squinty yeah. eyed ass who just doesn't give a fuck except about justice. His own form of justice, let's be very clear. Straight justice is best justice. So I've never seen this movie before, but I know a lot about it because this is like classic Kyle where I read up about movies, know everything about them, but have never actually seen them. This popped up a lot when I was first getting into it. Um, I, I've talked a lot about the American Film Institute and their specials that they would have every year. And it was the first was like the hundred best films of all time. This movie was not on that, but they would they did follow ups of like the hundred best thrillers and then the hundred best lines from a movie. And I remember that one specifically because Dirty Harry showed up like three times, I think, in it. Uh, again, from different films because there's five movies in the Dirty Harry franchise. And I believe I should have double checked with my dad before recording this, but you know our reception, we barely could get mad on the phone. I'm pretty sure that my dad loved this movie when it first came out. But whether or not he's ever seen it since that time, I have no idea. By the way, Matt, Matt, were your parents born in 1971? No, they were born earlier. Oh. Okay, good. good. Okay, good. good. We had a guest on that both their parents were born after 1971, and we were like, oh, God. <laughs> depressing. You know why your, d- your dad loves Clint Eastwood? Because he's a tall, oh, yes. lanky, western cowboy guy who lives in Rocky Mountain House. How could well, he not well, love Clint Eastwood? Yeah, he's been, yeah, basic, yeah, he's basically like <laughs> conservative Jones walking down the street, basically. Yeah. Except that he watches movies with his kids, which yes. we will learn Clint probably does not. If you go onto Wikipedia, <laughs> look up the personal section of Clint Eastwood, and I think it's so hilarious because it says, children... Maybe eight. It's basically, <laughs> they don't know how many kids he has well, because he doesn't know how many kids Matt, he do has. You, do you know who Wilt Chamberlain is? No. All right. Well, he's considered one of the greatest basketball players of all time, but he's also a meme because he's bragged about sleeping with, I can't remember, 20,000 women. Okay. Uh, Clint Clint is basically, it turns out, the white, white Wilt Chamberlain. This guy <laughs> uh, just lets it all hang out and uh, he oh, doesn't man. give a fuck. Yeah. He doesn't Probably know. He, he doesn't won't, care. He won't tell people how many kids he thinks he has. He's just he sired. Doesn't know. No, his he seeds. Know. He's like a dandelion. They're just his seeds are floating. <laughs> this is floating in the wind. Yeah. Oh God! I got Clint Eastwood all over me. Oh no! Oh, no. 
Okay, well, on that note, let's do this. Uh, Dave and I are going to go thank some sponsors, and then when we return, we'll talk a little bit more about the movie Dirty Harry. Do Do you feel lucky? I do. These These advertisements make me feel so lucky to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network. I think you got to say it more through your teeth. For You know, it's locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. You know, we're sponsored here today by Rumi. And, you know, sometimes even in the middle of summer, where it's getting really hot out, you feel a cold draft or see a flickering light, and it's not a sadistic murderer on the loose coming to get you. Instead of thinking of that that's what it is, you can ask Roomies, ask a home inspector service to help. Connect with a certified professional home inspector by phone or video call and get your questions answered. Roomie will let you know what's easily fixable with a little DIY or when you might need to call in some professional help. Visit Rumi.ca, that's Rumi.ca, R-U-M-I, and book your Ask a Home Inspector appointment today. You know a little bit about DIY, Dave. Yeah, I uh, I eat a lot of donuts. <laughs> Who doesn't? Actually, sorry, I think, I think when this goes up, Dave, it's going to be International Donut Day. Oh. So go and have a donut. Anyways, continue on. have to be vegan. People use milk in the weirdest things. Like, what do you need milk in a donut for? I just watched the movie Boys in the Hood. Have you ever seen Boys in the Hood? Yeah, Cuba. Yeah, Cuba's in there. His friend in one scene is literally drinking a liter of milk. He's just like drinking a liter of milk, walking around outside. I'm like, that's a bit odd. Uh, So this episode is also brought to you by the Calgary Foundation, proudly supporting community needs for 65 years. That's a lot of years, Kyle. Everyone wants to feel a sense of belonging. Now, more than ever, we are united by a desire to take action and help others by creating a community built on kindness and compassion. Dirty Harry isn't. We'll find out. No, he is not. No No compassion. No, Harry Callahan is not a supporter of this message. From small creative projects to larger citizen-led initiatives, the Calgary Foundation provides grassroots grants to encourage and support people who want to create and strengthen bonds between neighbors and communities. If you've got an idea to improve, enhance, or revitalize your community or neighborhood, visit calgaryfoundation.org to find out more about the Foundation's grant opportunities and visit Calgary Foundation's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube channel. Now hear me out, Dave. What if the solution was shooting people? What if that's the easy way out? You're going to have to show me the size of your gun first. Well, we've now seen Dirty Harry. I think we have to go with our guest first. Matt, what did you think of, of, the, of this movie? If you had to do like a short review and, uh, of it, what would it be? Oh, boy. A lot of hatred. I'd say. Mm. I enjoyed the beginning. And then like the beginning sequence is great. Action packed. It maybe my, my heart bump. What is, what's the word? My heart was going. Um, beat. Yeah, beat. thank you. My heart was beating. Um, and then it went into like some dialogue scene and I was like, I don't really care about dialogue. I don't know. Whatever exposition. Is that the word? And then I immediately, as soon as like Clint Eastwood started talking, I hated him. And then 
like as a uh, human being or as an actor? Yeah, it's, well, no, it's like a character. I just didn't like yeah. his character at all. I was like, oh, why should I care about this guy? Um, well, to, to be really, really honest here, too, like just knowing you a little bit, Matt, like the character he's play, playing, Harry Callahan, is like the polar opposite of Matt Mort. <laughs> like he really is. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And then uh, they made the antagonist uh, even more hateable. I uh, kind of hated both of them. But it was a, mm. it was a, I think it was a good movie. It wasn't amazing. It wasn't the best movie ever. I'm going to write down a score and see if I'm right here at the end. We'll see if, uh, Kyle and I, <laughs> if Kyle and I have made a bet. Yeah. Uh, you know what? J- just listening to that, Matt, I think that, you know, so we joked about our other guest whose parents had not yet been born. He actually <laughs> watched The French Connection. Oh. And I feel like. We should get you to also watch the French Connection, oh, and uh, don't give our guests homework, Dave. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> and talk to us not on air, but I'm just interested to know uh, how that one fares now that you've watched Dirty Harry, because they are comparable in in certain ways thematically. In certain ways, yeah. 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 Dave, how about yourself? Now coming back to it a second time, uh, I'm 100 percent on with Matt. I think this movie opens up, and it is so well shot and so cool. And it just gives you this really warm but cold-blooded feeling that this is going to be some badass like action flick drama thriller. And by the middle, I fucking hated everybody, uh, particularly mm. the uh, psycho sociopath, whatever. He's such a, a gross puppet. Uh, he's not even a human being. That by the end of the movie, I didn't care if he. I just I was so it was so grossed out. We will learn some backstory of what's going on in the 70s that this might have been more normal at the time to ca- uh, to characterize a killer in this way. But in the watching it, I, I actually felt I felt stressed out and tense and gross, icky. I think the medical term is I felt icky. It's icky. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah. Creepy crawlies. The doctor once told me it's called creepy crawlies, this condition you get on your skin. Mm-hmm. You know, by the end, we are seeing this theme in the 70s, this uh, violent counterculture vigilante type of stuff. I, I didn't think that, I didn't enjoy that uh, Scorpio dice. I didn't care. Mm. I think they, I, 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 it didn't feel like a resolution to me. So when I turned off the uh, film, I had to watch, I had to look for something else to watch. And unfortunately, I found that Michael Douglas sitcom on Netflix, and that just made me more depressed because- uh, what Michael Douglas sitcom? He's on a sitcom with Alan Arda about being old and people dying around them. It's supposed to be funny. Oh, great. It's Sounds awful. fun. Yeah. So that was, funny. So funny. That was, that was a bad night sitcom. of sleep. Yeah. Michael Douglas is the best comedian of his generation. I don't know if I'm going to fundamentally disagree with either of your statements, although I can already sense I'm going to rate this movie higher than probably both of you, because I think that what it's doing, it's doing effectively. I'll, I'll get into that a little bit more. One thing I will have to say, because this is going to color my perception of this, because I had never seen any any of the Dirty Harry films, because there's, again, like I said, uh, four sequels that this movie spawned. I actually watched all of them this week. I watched all five of them just to see what they were like. awesome. Are they called Dirty Harry 2, Dirty Harry 3? No. Actually, that's the funny thing. It's it's not not like the Rocky (laughs) franchise, right? Where it's like Rocky 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. They're called all different things. Like it doesn't even have Dirty Harry in or anything like that. It's just a different name. Is of a Clint movie. Eastwood even in the movies? Yes, oh, okay. he's in all of them. He produces all of them. He knows how I'll to get his to money, that. man. He knows. Yeah. he knows all about his money. Yeah. During the section of whether we think this is culturally relevant, I'll go into 
that very briefly of which ones I think work and completely don't, I think, in the series. So I think this one is the best out of all of them. And I think it actually has a very specific point it's trying to get across. So I agree. I, I, I and, and I struggle with this of I'm trying to figure out if the movie is actually in on the joke necessarily in that. Does it want you to actually sympathize with Clint Eastwood or does it want you to, as you've both uh, said, hate Clint Eastwood? And to be perfectly honest, I don't know. <laughs> I am not confident to say either way of whether or not the movie and the creators knew what they were trying to do. What I think is interesting is that they are making this police officer who is taking justice into his own hands. They're almost making the audience culpable in a way. And, and maybe this is like being apologetic. where. You're given this guy who is like killing people willy nilly and not seeming to care about it. In this is the story, still the Dirty Harry Clint Eastwood character. And then you get someone who is so grossly worse <laughs> than that. He's a sniper. He's kidnapping women. He's like killing kids. Like he's doing all this gross and reprehensible stuff. So that by the end, we're going like, yeah, like he deserved to be killed. And that in itself is like an interesting statement at the time that this movie is being made. And I think an interesting thing to talk about now is like, do we believe that? Do we believe that there are situations where the system fails so completely that we're okay with someone stepping over those bounds? And I have my own opinion on that. I think also to give that comparison to the French connection, for me, the French connection is like this gritty, reality of a film right it's trying to emulate this is what the streets of new york feels like and this is what it uh a, a cop who hates everyone is pushed to do this movie i term it gritty unreality i never once believed that this is actually a real human being the very first scene you see clint eastwood he's chowing down on that hot dog goes outside shoots six shots flips a car kills three people stops a bank robbery from happening, and then finishes hot dog. I do not believe this is, is a real person from the get-go. I guess I haven't. I Maybe I should you know, uh, go down to downtown Vancouver more often. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so because of that, I think this movie is showing its hand at the very beginning and being like, this is not reality. Like, come along the ride of this thriller. And on that level, and on that level alone, I think it succeeds really well. I think this is a really executed thriller of a story. Now, whether or not I believe in its actual politics, that's another that's another comment for another day. Um, but I don't know. What, do you have any rebuttal to that, Matt? I, I think it. I think it's a thriller where it keeps you on that high, and yeah. by the end of it, you're still on it. Like you, it doesn't have a conclusion. Doesn't. It's like sure. great, he's dead, but. So are all those people he killed and like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he fucking trauma. I don't know if we can swear. I'm sorry. He you can. traumatized. Fuck, fuck yeah, yeah. No problem. He traumatized these kids on a school bus and like a school bus driver. And like, I'm, I'm curious as to what happened to all the people and the, the world now that he's gone. Or yeah. That he that's the, nobody cares. Well, I, I, well, I think, <laughs> I, I think yeah. no, no, Matt, I think that is actually a really interesting point you bring up. Um, and, and one I don't think this movie is interested in answering, which is like, OK, so Dirty Harry has found justice, but have the people felt justice? And I don't know. Like, I think he he's crossing this line where it's like, well, I know what's right and I know 
yeah. that there's been this miscarriage of justice. So I'm going to take it into my own hands to go and kill this man and these people. But you, you, like you said, like those people are still traumatized. So yeah. so what if the guy's dead? They they still have all this other trauma to deal with. Which I guess you, that is a thing in like oh, Batman or something. Like you don't really think about oh all those people in the football stadium were like traumatized. Right. But I think there wasn't enough maybe to the character or something. I think the weird part. So for example, comparing to something like Batman, those movies spend a lot of energy. Maybe these are lessons learned from this era of creating a backstory of the bad guy. So whether you like them or not, the uh, moral resolution comes from two characters fighting. Whereas this one, all of the violence is happening to innocent bystanders. We get no insight into why this serial killer wants to do any of this stuff. Yeah, He's just this, yeah, this manifestation of, I guess in Christian terms, the devil. Uh, worse than the devil because it's not even about free will. He's like, he's just the plague. He just wants to do it. Yeah. Everybody dies. He dies. Nobody gives a shit. And like you said, Matt, the director doesn't give a shit. The screenwriter doesn't give a shit. Dirty Harry doesn't give a shit. Um, so why should I? And have well, you noticed, Matt, I, that there's a tone with Kyle that he's very apologetic about this stuff? <laughs> Is it any wonder anyway. why we're disagreeing on scores this year? I mean, this movie has no moral center and not every movie needs to, but this thing's pushing you pretty hard to think about murder, sure. death, and vengeance, and it has no core. But again, I think you do need to take into consideration the year that this is made. And I think this is where, again, our disagreements are stemming from, is that you're coming at it from absolutely a 2021 context. And that's fine. But one of the big things, the, the Scorpio killer, as they call him, is an amalgam. It's like a direct one for one, but it is definitely inspired by the Zodiac killer. So what is the character motivation of the Zodiac killer, Dave? Because there wasn't one. Well, he was also pure evil. Why do you think? Why do you think I don't watch or listen to true crime podcasts? I don't well, give enough. a shit. I'm, I don't want to know about the crimes of somebody who decided to rape, mutilate, and murder people and send fucking cryptic crosswords to people. It's disgusting, um, and it is naive. And I am trying to turn my face away from it. But I also don't have any power around it. I am not a police officer. I'm not a PI. I don't want to be. I don't want to be involved in that world at all. I have no interest in it. I think. I think for that, it, like, I don't know anything about the Zodiac Killer, but I would be intrigued to learn about it just to understand why. And but that would go into understanding the the backstory behind the Zodiac Killer um, instead of just like I wouldn't yeah. enjoy watching the Zodiac Killer with him. No, no backstory, you know. Yeah, I I would definitely. If you want, it's on Netflix, actually. You can watch the movie Zodiac that David Fincher made. I really love that movie, but that movie left me so unsettled. Like, I think the feeling that you're getting from this movie, Dave, and maybe partly you too, Matt, is how I felt after watching Zodiac. Because I couldn't, like, disengage. Like, oh, this is a real person who did this stuff. And they do not shy away from some of the stuff he did. Like, that's, like, I don't feel good (laughs) after having watched that movie, even though it was very well done. I'll give you this point, Kyle, like just contextualizing it. Uh, What we learn is this movie is written and made while the Zodiac Killer is active. And so in a reflective sense, the people who are experiencing it also don't know why it's happening. Um, And so, you know, if you're going to borrow lived experience as somebody, uh, you know, reading a newspaper, then you can kind of see how they might paint this picture but why don't they at least guess at something 
or create a mm. backstory. And as we learned, someone tried to and they For cut it movie? out. So yeah. um, really? it's hard to watch. Yeah. It, this thing's got five writing credits. Yeah. yeah. But again, and we'll get into this in the backstory here in just a moment, but like they really did just use the original script the end, at the yeah. end of the day. But yeah, they had done a bunch of rewrites. I want to talk before we get into that backstory of just like the very, very ending because I have thoughts on it and it actually colors my perception of all the other sequels and why the one directly after this, I think fails. So at the very end, what I'm talking about is so he shoots the Scorpio killer. He's drowning. You know, he's dead. And he takes his badge and he like throws it into the river, yeah. which I think is like him quitting. So him quit. So thank you. Do you both read that as he's quitting the force? I, I read that as, yeah, he's quitting the force or I'm just confused as to maybe he's hiding his tracks. Maybe like or, or mm. leaving a little like his own serial killer uh, clues or something. <laughs> <laughs> he he just but, wanted to see how much he could skip it. Actually, he just wanted yeah. to see how much. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that would have been awesome if he wrote his own note. And yeah, I think yeah. that that would have been perfect. <laughs> it was me all along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, we'll do the backstory, but it does it does come off as he's done with everything. Yeah, you know that he completed his mission and he's he's just leaving, which yeah. is why five sequels is hilarious. But <laughs> well, uh, that's that's what I mean. Because like, when this movie en- <laughs> yeah. when this movie ends, it's like so is he gonna like be like this lone private detective for the, like, the rest of the series the i assumed yeah. uh and he's not he's just on the police force again anyways i'll talk about that a little bit more because it just the, the whole series is so friggin odd because there's like no continuity between any of the movies it's just like oh, it's just dirty harry again but he's learned nothing from the previous films it's right. like a really weird thing to watch it all in once why i bring that up though is that it is actually a kind of a clear Illusion or like reference back to a much older film called High Noon. Have either of you ever seen High Noon? Yes. Is no. that also a Clint Eastwood movie? It is not. No, it stars Gary Cooper. Gary Cooper. Um, I want to say 1950 something, maybe 1960. Anyways, just as a quick overview, it's about this sheriff in a small town. It it, it kind of cheats, but it's basically in real time is what its big thing was because the bandits are coming to town. He knows they're coming to town and he's the only police officer. So he's trying to get help to fend off these people that he knows are coming at noon. So in like 45 minutes from now and nobody helps him. Everyone says, no, I'm not going to help you. You can stand alone. You can stand alone. And so at the end, spoiler alert for an even older movie, he kills them and then he throws a star down, says, you know, save your own town next time and walks off. Um, and I feel like this movie is trying to go for that, but I do think that that very, very ending fails for me in that regard, because it doesn't feel like, well, then figure it out yourself. It feels almost like he is quitting and just walking away. I don't know. That, that's just my own opinion. I once got high at noon with Gary Cooper. I think it, it misses the mark. There are a lot of weird mm. things like, like the, the killer paying a dude to beat him up to what like yeah. what was that for I, at first i thought he just enjoyed pain right uh, but then i realized it's just because he's going to the extent to frame you get to frame but him. then so there's no good. impact like they're here is like all right <laughs> yeah well yeah. uh okay i won't follow you anymore you asshole i'll just shoot you next time i see you. it's so weird but, by the by the yeah. way I, i'm just asking just for my own is that something that i could do if i wanted to I, it's only I'm, sure, I'm sure you could do that okay yeah. okay awesome <laughs> matt, matt and i will take offers 
because uh, <laughs> that's right. He was thrown in a box and just punched me in the face as many times. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I, that's what I mean. I think that this is. I I found it enjoyable mostly for the Clint Eastwoodness of it all. I liked all of his lines that he said. I enjoyed him kind of trying to piece it all together. I did like the villain for the most part. I know you, Dave, you completely like checked out once the villain was kind of introduced into the movie, but it worked for me. And mostly because I don't think I was ever taking this movie seriously. So I always had like an arm's distance away from it. So I wasn't being like, oh, like this is awful. It's like, yeah, this is just whatever. This is up on the same level as like The Fugitive or Clear and Present Danger, like those 90s movies that were Mm -hmm. just like cop and killer and they were on the loose and they were trying to figure it out and that sort of thing. Okay. Those had that, that's more what it story. Felt like to me. Those had more story around the bad guys. Maybe, maybe. And Clear and Present Danger was written by the same guy here. But. I will say that uh, that the the future is actually a much better movie. But that's that's another side. But that's the here. thing. I mean, you know, the one handed. Have you seen that, Matt? Um, no. Harrison Ford. No. The, so the one armed uh, killer and all that stuff. But there's a there's a rich, a deep and rich fiction, Kyle, in mm. that film where you buy into it. Also, Harrison Ford, he's a doctor. Right? He's not a psychopathic cop. He's like sure. going for revenge and, and you follow him because that story is so deep. Here's my question then, Dave. Why is the cop who is like kind of racist, doesn't give a shit, doesn't like anybody different for this movie than it was in The French Connection? Because it's the same thing. It's Well, it, it is and it isn't. Just to, for Matt to get some footing, The French Connection, A, is based on a true story. Ish. Yeah. Ish. B... That's a classic drama because at the end, it's so realistic because nothing actually fucking happens. Right. I mean, that is very true life. He gets away. Like the villain the gets villain away. The villain gets okay. away. Not, not, uh, not that he wins, not that it's scathing, but because it's real police procedural. And see, like, A, I mean, Gene Hackman is Gene Hackman. So, he, he plays a very humanist asshole. He's empathetic in some scenes. He's cruel in others. He's, uh, he's doing everything, the full range. That car chase scene, which is so famous now yep, with the yep. train, uh, he looks rattled by it. You know, mm. by the time he's confronting the one guy, the one assassin or whatever on the, on the steps, he's beat, he's tired, and he shoots him because he's fucking upset. Dirty Harry is, that's, this guy's a, like you said, he's a two-dimensional cartoon character. And I love Clint Eastwood, but it's hard to get behind a film where the protagonist is just this guy who can never die. Like he gets shot. I thought he spilled ketchup on his leg. I did right? too, actually. Then I he the goes to thing. the doctor, they pull out a bullet and he's just walking around in his skinny jeans after that. And then he shoots a bunch of guys, gets beat up, starts walking around. I, it's uh, And that's why I said, that's why he's like this, he's like a superhero in a three-piece suit. He kind of was I like, my- like Batman when he like just appeared when wherever the villain was. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Send, send, send out the dirty Harry signal and he'll like, yeah, his yeah. Way. I, Dave, I believe that you would give a full star more to this movie if he wore a hat. I think that's what he's missing here in this movie. Yeah, a cowboy hat. Well, cowboy yeah. hat would have been something. Yeah. And, you know, if he was Josie Wales or the man with no name, you know, you in San Francisco riding a horse, it would have been, that would have been something. Can you imagine yeah. if Clint Eastwood had to wear a cowboy hat and like smoke in every <laughs> single movie? For his whole career, I'm pretty the, sure he's asked. Contract. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure he's asked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, let's do this. Um, there's definitely some other questions that I want to ask both of you, but let's do some backstory here first. Okay. So, Dirty Harry was released on December 23rd, 1971. It was a Christmas movie, 
What a great time to go and watch Dirty Harry. Uh, it is rated 7.7 on IMDb. It has a 90 on Metacritic. Wow. And on Rotten Tomatoes, from 46 critics, it's at 89%. And from 50,000 plus users, it's at 90%. So this is wow. very much a loved movie. But people love it. Uh, people love it. The American public, a.k.a. the NRA. But we'll talk about that later, too. Yeah. It's available on a DVD and Blu-ray. You can buy or rent it on iTunes or YouTube. In Canada, unfortunately, there's no place to stream it, like on Netflix or, or anything like that. Just sounded like this uh, podcast was sponsored by Dirty Harry. Oh, <laughs> I mean, we won't, we won't say yes <laughs> if you want to. Okay. Uh, its budget was $4 million. It made $36 million. Now, in today, that sounds so low. But due to inflation, that would be like if a movie made $212 million today. Wow. So it was... Big. It was the sixth highest grossing film in North America. It was the seventh highest grossing film worldwide. Its plot description from IMDb is when a madman calling himself the Scorpio Killer menaces the city, tough as nails San Francisco police officer Dirty Harry Callahan is assigned to track down and ferret out the crazed psychopath. I don't think the word ferret is used enough <laughs> in, in our world. Bygone. It stars Clint Eastwood as Harry, Andrew Robinson as Killer. That's what it's, literally is what he's referenced as in the credits. Harry Gordino as Bresler and John Vernon as the mayor. We are going to talk a little bit more about Clint Eastwood. We've already kind of talked about Clint Eastwood. So for those other three people, anything we want to say about those actors? Um, I don't know. There's not a lot. I mean, we know. Well, Andy Robinson who plays Scorpio was like a theater actor that Clint and yeah. uh, Don, the director, kind of saw in a play and they brought him in he actually mm -hmm. got hate and death threats because of this film yep. unsurprisingly because wow. he's just so gross mm -hmm. and this, he got typecast always, for this movie i know this always shocks me though i always find it so bizarre that you watch a movie or tv show and them i'm gonna write a hate letter to this person yeah. this person who's acting a role Still like it's, just, it's weird yeah i mean that's what that's what twitter is isn't it yeah that's how the, that's how the <laughs> snyder cut happened exists yeah, yeah. I only know about Clint Eastwood, the other ones I had no idea about, but for some reason, the Scorpio, the actor, I have like a replay of like a gif somewhere online of like a close-up zoom going towards him and he's having like a crazy reaction or something. <laughs> I don't know if that's yeah, him yeah. or someone else, but... Or maybe it looks like him. Could be Malcolm yeah, McDowell. There is a, a gif that is so prevalent that I only just the other day found out was Robert Redford. And it's like, I've never thought that was Robert Redford in my life. Do you know that one I'm talking about? He, it's a bearded guy. He yeah. looks like a mountain man. Oh, and he yeah, looks yeah. And like he smiles. My, uh, People uh, thought thing. that was Zach like, Galifianakis. Yeah, yeah. That's Robert yeah. Redford. I just knew it wasn't him. No. Oh, come but, on, guys. Well, I He's so I, beautiful. I I, I knew it wasn't Zach, but it doesn't look like Robert Redford either. He's too fat in the face. No, like, that's not uh, what Robert Redford looks have like. Have you watched Robert Redford movies from the 60s, 70s, and 80s? No, I've seen basically from like the, the Sting, late 70s onward. Uh, Sting I've seen. The Sting, uh, what's the other one? The Condor. But he's like so, Jeremiah, he's so youthful. That's Jeremiah. Days, three days, yeah. uh, he's so youthful back then. I thought then. you were like a so movie nerd. Good looking. Come on. He was so beautiful. Uh, I know John Vernon, of course, is like the... <laughs> the dean from Animal House. That's the only other he's, role I he's know. He's from Saskatchewan. Oh. oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, That's he's Canadian. And he got his break on CBC, which I think is interesting. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then he got like, like so uh, Andy, what's it, Robinson? Andy Robinson got typecast as a psychotic bad guy. So basically yeah. any role he would get in film. He was uh, the main, the lead in Hellraiser. So that tells you everything you need to know. That pinhead. 
But John Vernon would do the same thing. He would become. Well, wait, so, so stop, stop, stop. I don't think he was Pinhead. Oh. I think he's in oh, Hellraiser. But he's me Pinhead. No, no, no. no. Oh. Isn't he? Yeah. Oh, maybe I, he, I read it wrong. Yeah, he's not Pinhead. He does have a role though in Hellraiser. Yes. Um. Mm. Yeah, and then Don Siegel. Oh, I don't know. So the act. That's all I got on the actors. Well, the only other thing I will say, Harry Gordino. I know from his Broadway career because he was on. He was doing a bunch of plays, and I've already mentioned this. But he was also the uh, co-lead of a musical called Anyone Can Whistle, opposite Angela Lansbury, who we talked about here a few weeks ago, in the musical Anyone Can Whistle that lasted six performances, seven performances, and then closed. Like, it's an absolute, like, very well-known flop of a show uh, that somehow still got a cast recording. So that's why people still remember it. I know. Um, that's, a, that's the right? only reason I know Harry Guardino. <laughs> Can you imagine News Weekly, Matt? Where everything yeah. goes back to Broadway. Oh, oh yeah. I can pull weird. I can pull weird connections. Like, by the way, do you know that? Yeah. This was written by Harry Julian Fink, Rita M. Fink, and Dean Reisner, based on a story by Harry Julian Fink and Rita M. Fink, with uncredited additions by Terrence Malick, Joe Helms, and John Milius, directed by Don Siegel. They all sound like a bunch of Finks to me. Harry and Rita were this husband and wife writing team. There's really not a whole lot written about them other than that they wrote another movie in 1971 called Big Jake starring John Wayne. Maybe we'll talk about okay. that movie, Dave. The other credited screenwriter was Dean Reisner, who started as an actor. And in fact, he had a career in silent film starting when he was four, portraying a character called Dinky Dean. This is like my favorite fun fact. I, like, this is, when I found this out, it was like, what is going on? Uh, his fit, most famous role was in one of the early Charlie Chaplin films. <laughs> then he grows up, becomes involved in behind the scenes. He won an honorary Oscar for directing a movie in 1948 called Bill and Coo, which involved a cast of real birds dressed up as humans. Basically pre-YouTube. What? <laughs> I need to see this movie because it's like, that is buck wild. Like, what are you talking about? That he made this movie with humans dressed as people. Uh, and no, he birds, won an Oscar birds, for it. Birds, birds dressed as people. Yeah. Not, not humans. Birds dressed as people. Humans yeah. often dress as people. They but, usually uh, do, yeah. Typically. <laughs> He would go on to write two Clint Eastwood films, Dirty Harry, but also Play Misty for Me, which was Eastwood's directing debut. Uh, but then he spent most of the rest of his career doing either spec scripts. So he wrote the first draft of Godfather Part 3, which was ditched for when Mario Puzo came back. But he also did uncredited rewrites for things like Das Boot and Starman, although there's some dispute about that specifically. The story of the Scorpio Killer is a loose adaptation of the Zodiac Killer, who would have still been active at this time, who was still sending letters to the papers in 1971. How these people actually collaborated, I don't know. But the script of Dirty Harry went through this w very circuitous route to get to where we are. So originally it was supposed to take place in New York, then it was supposed to be in Seattle. It was meant to start someone in their mid to late 50s. They cast Frank Sinatra. So Frank Whoa. Sinatra was cast to be Dirty Harry. Wild. Yes. The director at that time was Irvin Kirshner. Yes, the person who directed Empire Strikes Back. So, <laughs> Irvin Kirshner was supposed to direct Frank Sinatra and Dirty Harry. Because of a bunch of different things, they both fall out of the project. And then they started basically, the producers, since he went around and started offering every lead actor the role, Burt Lancaster said it went against his worldview. Steve McQueen thought it was too far right-wing for him to Steve be a part of McQueen it. Steve McQueen thought it was too far right-wing. Yeah. Bullet. Uh, Paul, 
Yeah, Paul Newman said no, but he said, you know who would really like this? Clint Eastwood. And so they offered it to Clint Eastwood and he said yes. Eastwood looked at all the scripts. There's like five or six of them written at this point. And he ultimately went with one of the first ones. Uh, He felt that the rewrites had gotten way too far away from the central point. And if you read up on it, like how it ends, it would be drastically different. Like he liked it that there was just him and the Scorpio killer at the end. Whereas all these other drafts had like SWAT teams and like sniper bullets and explosions happening. And he's like, I don't want that. I want it just to be the one on one. Mm-hmm. A confrontation at the end. We could, Dave, probably spend two full episodes just talking about Clint Eastwood. Oh, <laughs> the man. more you delve into his personal life, it's like it's wild. So love him or hate him, this guy is fascinating to read up on. Like I said at the beginning, like just when you think you figured him out, he like throws this curveball. So like conservative but believes in a woman's right to choose, rejects liberalism but is also an atheist. Loved Reagan, hated Donald Trump. Is this jazz fanatic but also enjoys country music. He's made westerns, cop films, musicals, romance films, sci-fi, and even acted in a movie where he co-stars with a monkey twice. So in 71, he would have just been coming off of the spaghetti western phase, really. He would have been just in Hang'em High, Coogan's Bluff, Where the Eagles Dare, and Two Mules for Sister Sarah. Those last two films were directed by Don Siegel, who also directed this movie. So, like, he he was a star. Like, he had a few hits under his belt. People knew who he was. And this kind of, like, this threw him into the stratosphere as far as, like, popular people goes. Why don't you marry him already? I brought up the ending because I think it's interesting that Eastwood actually had, like, a, a director's mindset even at this early stage of his career. Because Eastwood disagreed with throwing the badge away at the end. He said it doesn't make sense. He said it doesn't make sense. He says, if you do that, it makes it indicate that Callahan was quitting the police department. Mm-hmm. But the director says, the other director, Don Siegel says, no, no, no. Tossing the badge was the Callahan's indication of casting away the inefficiency of the police force's rules and bureaucracy. It's so just, it Eastwood means eventually, the same thing. It means so the same Eastwood, thing. No, it's not, though. The, no. If you're absolutely throwing away the, the force, bureaucracy, then you're leaving. Like, why would you oh, I continue see. to stay in the bureaucracy that you just threw into the water. I, well, that's what I mean. I think I think this, speak. I, I, yeah, I think I think Eastwood was correct in that throwing it into the water was a dumb idea to end the movie. He eventually did it just because the director wanted him to. When this movie was released, it was very popular, but it met with very stiff criticism. So even critics who liked it said that the movie's protagonist was a fascist. Uh, and at the Academy Awards that year, there were even picketers with signs that read uh, "Dirty Harry is a rotten pig." So. That is simpler times, man. Not, simpler times. I should just point out. I, I know it says that at the Academy Awards that happened. Uh, this was not nominated for any Academy Awards. I want to be very clear. Huh. So why they decided to pick at the Academy Awards, I don't really know. But visibility. There was only TV at I that guess. time. There was no internet. I want to pick up on that point. Do you think that this movie is fascist? Fascist? Oh mm-hmm. boy. To, so here's here's the thing. I I will I will out myself in this regard. I know what, what fascism is in the sense that like Hitler and Mussolini, dictators who tell people what they have to do, usually mired in like either racism or xenophobia of some kind, like that type of fascism. I've always had a hard time understanding when, when people say like a book is fascist or a person or a, sorry, a movie is fascist. I, I, I had to go and see like exactly how they define this because a fascist is said to be someone who uh, wants complete power, forcing, suppressing opposition and criticism regimenting all industry or commerce and emphasizing an aggressive nationalism and often racism, which is opposed to liberalism. We're talking like classic, like political theory here 
as opposed to liberalism, where the idea is that a group of people decides what's best for society rather than an individual by themselves. Okay. He's, so he's not I, a fascist. He's a sociopath. <laughs> no, seriously. So how fascism, fascism is a system. It's a philosophical system. We villainize the leaders of those systems. So we say Hitler was a fascist, but he's not a fascist. He's a sociopath who used a political system. And so why he likes the idea. A fascist is basically a monarch. They believe they know best and that people don't know how to make decisions for themselves. And it ties into racism and nationalism for that reason, because they're like, well, if all Germans are great and we all have blonde hair and blue eyes, then we just got to mm -hmm. do it the German way and we'll win, right? Dirty Harry doesn't do that. He doesn't give a fuck about anybody. He just wants to kill things. He doesn't believe in... He doesn't even talk about justice. It's not even about doing the right thing about this serial killer. He's just... He's no, just but I kind think of a I th maverick, right? What, what is in the text of the movie, like what is actually happening in the movie is that he is super upset by the fact that he is a part of the system and he, I think, does believe like, yeah, a cop is doing something good for the world. That could be its own other separate episode. But at least he, he believes that cops are doing something good. He talks to the wife that about how he doesn't even know why he does what he does. Sure. But I'm just saying like where he goes completely off the rocker is when they get away. Like he captures people that were doing bad things and then they get off on technicalities. That is an example of the system not working the way that he knows that it should. And he knows they're going to go and commit bad things. He knows that the serial killer is going to go off and kill bad people. But because he didn't get like due process did, no. to go and do, do what he did, you read he says, that, like, fine. You read that, that I read that as he's an egoist. He lost. Nobody listened to him. So he went and did it his own way. He, he doesn't care about the legal system. He, wasn't, he didn't want to talk to lawyers or have due process. He tortured the guy because fuck that guy. I don't know about fashion, but yeah, he's a sociopath. He, he's he's crazy. <laughs> he, he he hurt the he hurt the serial killer because he enjoyed it. In what do you think, Matt? Yeah, I well, when you describe fascism, it does sound like that. Like it seems like everything you said pretty much equals everything that happened in the movie, where it's just an individual. Like he seems to be right in his own way. Like he sees nothing else as yeah as right. Like he seems like. I guess a fascist. I don't know. I, I, I yeah. Well, this is. I, I mean, I I think like you brought Batman up at yeah. the beginning, and this is actually criticisms that a lot of theorists will put against Batman too, which is this idea that is prevalent in a lot of fiction, in that hey, I am seeing things that are not going the way that I think they should be going. That there's clear failings of a system that are meant there to enact justice, but when they slip through or pay people off or able to continue to do what they want to do, then fine, I will be, in Batman's case, this dark knight who is going to go and avenge the common man. In, in Harry's case here, it's like, I'm seeing something bad happen, so I'm just going to go and kill this guy for mm -hmm. pleasure. And I also recognize that like, that is so dangerous as a worldview, because that can spiral out of control. Because how do you start to define, like, this is right, and this is just what I personally want to go off and do that that's where the danger i think comes in that i have to personally wrestle with well let me ask you this question because you're a huge like never mind batman batman is portrayed intentionally dark brooding and uh, an expression of vengeful vigilantism right and I, I love batman but you're a big mcu fanboy and mcu mm -hmm. tried to work this with that whole sokovia accord plot line yeah. but at the end of the day everybody's cheering when they punch thanos in the face are you then cheering for a bunch of fascists, if you want to define it that way? And I, I think that's too, 
That's hiding behind a term that people have misunderstood. I think that there's a difference between somebody who does things, you know, in their mind from a moral perspective. And there's another thing where people build systems to oppress other people. So like uh, we use the term, I don't know, Orwellian or totalitarian regimes, et cetera, where we want to put people to act in certain functions because that's what's best for them. That is not like Dirty Harry doesn't give a shit about the guy selling hot dogs and he doesn't give a shit about, you know, uh, the women like peeping Tom, that moment where the, the guy's like having sex with his wife. He, he's not upset by any of that. In fact, he enjoys watching all of those things. The only thing he cares about is when his own ego is offended. So he plays this know. one I, job. The guy, the guy works against what he's, his role is. And then he wants to kill that guy for that one reason. He has no awareness of the rest of the world. I mean, I will agree to the to the extent that, like, yes, like by and large, he quote unquote doesn't care. Like multiple people say that in the movie that he doesn't care. Where I will push back on you is that there is that scene very particular of the guy who is going to jump off the roof and commit suicide. So if he really didn't care, he would just walk away and let that guy jump. And so he intentionally goes up there and saves the guy, even though he's it's he's put upon like God, I have to do this thing because he's always called in to do the quote unquote dirty jobs that everyone else doesn't want to do. That's where he gets his nickname from. So it's almost like he's doing the good thing under duress, but he still is doing quote unquote, the good thing in the confines of what this movie considers good. Is, is that what a fascist would do? No, but I guess what I'm really trying to say is like, how, where is that line? Like what I actually instantly thought of when I was reading these old reviews and, and researching this movie a little bit more. I, I seem to recall this thing and I'm not going to get the specifics right. Cause it happened like when I was nine or 10 years old, but my family would always watch the evening news while we were eating dinner. That was just the thing we did. And I remember this case happening where this guy's daughter who was like a teenager kidnapped, raped, killed. So awful, awful story. They're in the courtroom and because of some weird technicality, he's, he's only going to get like two years of prison or something like that for doing these awful things. Further comes down, and the father jumps the barricade and starts pummeling on that guy. And I'm like, well, yeah, like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> go nuts, honestly, uh, for what you want to do. But is that the proper thing to do? He got justice in quotes. But is it real justice when you know that the only reason he's going to jail for two years is because of a technicality? And I think that's what this movie is trying to wrestle with is like, where is that line for society? When is it OK for the individual to take it upon themselves to be like, yeah, let's go and round up the horses and be like, oh, no, that's OK. The police know what they're doing and they'll just do it for us and we don't have to worry about it. I mean, I, I, I'm going to argue, but Matt, I mean, this is quickly becoming a philosophical, ethical debate. Yep. We're defining <laughs> yes. terms, right? Yes. About morality yep, and justice. Yep. But I don't know, Matt. I mean, what do you think? Oh, boy, there's a lot um, that gets going into this. I don't know. Jeez. There's so many points you made. Wait, so um, <laughs> these are kind of unrelated, completely unrelated, but there are more questions as to what you said. Did the guy, the, the guy that jumped the barricade in the courtroom, he went to jail for two years? No, oh, okay, the, the killer okay. got sentenced to two years and because he was so pissed off that he jumped right. the barricade. The dad sorry, probably, went to, probably went to jail for oh, um, probably. And, and yeah. then yeah. the second thing, I thought George Lucas directed Empire Strike Back. No. No, he, oh. he wrote it. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's yeah. my thought. He only did the Morality, first I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. Jeez. I, man, there's so much. I guess. Okay. Well, answer this question. Just to like to put it down. Like, where is your line? Like, do you think it's ever okay to be like, 
I'm relying on this system to do good. But when right. is it okay for you to step up across that and be like, I'm going to enact it? Myself? Yeah, that's, that's a super tough line because everything has its own logistics or its own, like everything is different. Nothing is really the, the same. You can't really blanket everything. There's not like one way to do everything. So it, it, it really depends on each situation. But then that goes into everybody's individual opinions and like, you get your juries and like all these different people that have different opinions on different things. I guess like you could say there are common, uh, common sense rules and things that everyone believes in, but really there's like, no, there's never one thing that everybody in the world believes in. Oh, I mean, that's, I, I, mm -hmm. I agree with that. I think it does depend on the situation to a grant for, for the grand scheme mm -hmm. of things. Dave, you're shaking your head. <laughs> Look, this is the slippery slope that brings people to this idea of what we define as libertarians now. And I, I think that one thing that we as a society lose sight of is A, the reason why st structural philosophies, laws, ethics, formal discussions of this stuff exist is not only to create rules for us to coexist as a society, but because the context of, let's say, being hurt changes over time mm -hmm. and needs to be on a generational societal basis. So for example, as just as a like, you know, reductio ad absurdo, when you were 10, if someone took your lunch money and you felt it's justified for me to punch them in the face, when you're 15, who gives a fuck? Mm -hmm. And the reality is, of course, these really, really intense, like I, when I was living in Toronto, when I was a kid, we had the Paul Bernardo fucking maniac you know, uh, kidnapping, raping, murdering, chopping up girls. You know, when you read stories like that, of course, we become impassioned in this empathetic thing where like, if I was that kid's brother or that kid's dad, I would want to fucking stab that dude in the face. But that is the exact thing that devolves cultures into, you know, fucking anarchy. And so the idea that in this one situation, it's correct for me to jump a barricade and punch this motherfucker in the face to be a dirty Harry, because this guy's about to get uh, scot-free. If you want to go that line in this movie, this movie needs to be about the lawyers. Mm. It can't be about the cop. Centering this whole narrative around dirty Harry himself, like there isn't even a lawyer except for that one five-minute sequence where the lawyer is this piece of shit yelling at him. He, he doesn't even seem upset that it's getting thrown out. He's just giving Harry a hard time. And then it's over. It has nothing to do with legality or right. or nuance or or any of that right. stuff. Right, and I think I I think we're arguing the same point from like two separate sides here. Whereas I'm not. My argument is not that oh everyone should be dirty Harry. That's not my point. My point, as I started off with, is because this is so unrealistic. You know, as I said, starts off with him flipping a car, shooting these six shots, being shown to be basically a superhero. I'm looking at this as essentially wish fulfillment from the audience. This is their opportunity to be like, yeah, that guy's a sicko. And yeah, it's great that I get to be at this. He's the audience surrogate for me to go and get him blasted, mm -hmm. drowned and thrown into a river. And then that is where the entertainment ends. I do not. Me personally, as Kyle Marshall, do not have the worldview of Dirty Harry. I think that there are systems that have to be in place and there has to be rules put into place. But I also recognize that sometimes like our systems fail us and they fail us so deeply. And then what do you do? Like, if the system is failing you, how do you keep going with that same system that's flawed? This is the whole Black Lives Matter situation that's being done for the, like the last year. Is like there's a corrupt system in place. Do you continue with that system or do you mm -hmm. burn it down? I think it would be 
like more interesting for the ending. I, I don't know necessarily what the script said in the other renditions, but I feel like it'd be more interesting if he wasn't just fighting the uh, Scorpio guy, but if the cops and the the law did come to like take him out mm. as well. And so Clint Eastwood was fighting not only Scorpio, but he was fighting the police and trying to like battle that, you know? Sure. By the way, uh, he did his own stunt. He actually did jump on top of that bus. Uh -huh. <laughs> that bus was hot. I mean, here's the question then as a follow-up, Kyle, because I would definitely not accuse you of wanting to become a vigilante. But <laughs> I do have a utility belt, though, just in case. <laughs> being apologetic about this film on the basis that it always was meant to be a cartoon, do the... Does the production company director and actor not have some, and writer, have some responsibility to not make this film? Because what this film then does is you're saying wish fulfillment. We, we learn history. This, the sudden, uh, everybody's buying this fucking 44 Magnum, right? Yeah. Everybody's going out like uh, the, one of the writers takes this piece home. The, it feeds into this gun nut idea that the law ends here. But true justice is when I take the the world into my own hands. That's more fascist than this storyline. And I think that we have to be careful in a, like watching this film that we don't get caught up too much in the context from an intellectual standpoint because this is a this is a violent movie for the sake of being violent. Uh, it's entertaining, but it's also you know kind of corrupting, frankly. Well, yeah, like I, I get that argument too I, and that's where i agree and what i tried to state is like i think it's absolutely appropriate to criticize the creators of this movie and be like like there is a kind of a bit of a slippery slope here about uh, putting this out into the world um we saw this with clockwork orange too right even stanley kubrick didn't really believe what that movie is purporting and he had to pull it from theaters because he was uncomfortable of it being released that never happened here although there was copycat crimes that were based off of this movie that people did I think they do. I think that you you do have to stand by what you put out into the world. And I think you have to be conscious of what you're doing. This does feel like that same argument, though, that happens with video games all the time, though, which is like video games cause violence because there's shooting in this video game that makes people go out and shoot yeah. people. And I don't buy that. I just don't buy that argument that because people went out and bought the 44 Magnum because they saw this movie, the, the movie then caused them to go and shoot people. It's not about causing as though i think like matt and i brought up at the beginning if this is a fully fleshed narrative even if it's in the superhero realm where we get an idea of what the killer is or matt had a great idea like dirty hair is also in opposition to the quote-unquote system or you brought up kyle that the legal system is to blame when you flesh that out and and you can make sort of a wider broader perspective then the violence portrayed is not what causes violence. What causes violence is ignorance and uh, like single-minded echo chamber thinking. We're seeing that with social media. Video games don't cause people to, viol uh, to, uh, to act violently, but shitty video games do. So if you get a shitty video game where the only thing you're doing is poking people in the eye, it has no context with anything whatsoever, then that game is culpable of making this a simple process. That the only thing I have to do is press this button and destroy. I mean, this is the ethical debate we have with drones and like, you know, military pilots sitting in computer chairs, blowing people up. Uh, when we take away the human factor, that's what we're really 
having a problem with. This movie doesn't make people into serial killers, but this movie does excuse people from having this type of discussion about the film. Mm. And then all of a sudden you're brandishing a gun because you want to look cool and then you have the opportunity to use it. You know, I, I, I think that's pretty scary. It's, I think this is the icky feeling I get from this movie. It's like... Sure. Well, I, I definitely I, I definitely agree with both of you that I think things should have been fleshed out more in this movie. Matt, I'm going to give you the last <laughs> word as far as this movie goes specifically. I guess where do you end off on this? Is this movie culpable in aggravated aggressions? Uh, define culpable. <laughs> like, do you think that it's it needs to take better responsibility for its effect on people? Mm. Or do you think it's okay to just be an action film and... And not worry about how it impacts its audience. Man, I think that's another uh, line where certain art can influence certain events. Because, I mean, there are like a lot of uh, like riots and, and uh, uh, protests or movements or whatever from various films or pieces of art or whatever. But there's also the freedom to just like create whatever you want like if they want to make that movie go for it people are going to make their own decisions based off of like their own individual persona or whatever mm -hmm. that everyone's their own person they're they should be able to distinguish what's right what's wrong for them and for the general public i i struggle with this myself too like everything seems so like there's so many opinions so many facts and so many things in the world where you can never really know truly what is right and wrong what's so interesting is that uh for you matt like as a as a creator as a youtube creator like all the stuff that you <laughs> make is so positive yep. for the uh -huh. world right like this is such a direct opposite of what this movie is <laughs> well let me uh, let me ask you a follow-up matt yeah. as a young man coming from a you know post-internet post-social media world yeah and hearing you talking about sort of yeah the gray area i mean what do you think folks of your age bracket and people younger than you, how do they even have a conversation about morality? I mean, content creation, for example, on YouTube, there's lots of fun, inane stuff. There's lots of pretty disgusting things that are being built as well. You know, as somebody that's living within it, you know, how do you even filter all of these things out? You know, when you look at your peers, do we just say it's up to them whether they'll twist off it? Or do you guys have some kind of Right. A systematic approach where you know that this one thing is garbage and, you know, do you have any sense that there's a formal <laughs> way to define that uh, or experience it? Yeah, I think uh, with every generation, everyone's kind of uh, on some sort of spectrum, I guess, of like politics or of like right and wrong. I think there are discussions being had uh, like in my circle and like friends and their circles and there are there are discussions being had about all that yeah i don't know I, it feels like a lot of people are having discussions but also a lot of people aren't having discussions um and and getting their friends thoughts and being okay with the uncomfortableness that can come from those conversations well i think what's hard too is that so many of the youtube stars and the people who are the biggest are fairly young themselves mm -hmm. so this is a, as an outsider kind of looking in is that oftentimes, like, I think those conversations are trying to be had, but there might not even be a language for them to allow them to have that conversation. Right. I think that's also... Because we're talking about, like, teenagers a lot of the time. Yeah, and I think a lot of people feel kind of like it's a touchy subject, like they don't want to step on anyone's toes or, or say the wrong thing or whatever. So sometimes the conversations aren't had because 
they're afraid of. Um, I, I need a dictionary. <laughs> um, like no oh, repercussions, repercussions. Repercussions, but like uh, alienate. Like they don't want to, you know, ah. make someone feel alienated or whatever with their viewpoint. And so sometimes it's tough to have those conversations. But I think we can all agree that Dirty Harry would not watch YouTube. I think that's where we can. He would have shot his computer in the face. Yeah. Let's talk about Critics' Choice. That's what I'm calling this segment okay. from now on. Critics' Choice. I like to talk about some of the critics at the time, what they were thinking. Two critics. So not new critics, what the critics thought at the time. Dave, get ready to get angry, because if you want to talk about apologists, <laughs> you're going to hear it. Roger Ebert gave this film three out of four stars Ooh. and said, the movie clearly and unmistakably gives us a character who understands the Bill of Rights, understands his legal responsibility as a police officer, and nevertheless takes retribution into his own hands. Sure, Scorpio is portrayed as the most vicious, perverted, warped monster we can imagine, but that's part of the same stacked deck. The movie's moral position is fascist, no doubt about it. I think films are more often a mirror of society than an agent of change, and that when we blame the movies for the evils around us, we are getting things backward. Dirty Harry is very effective at the level of a thriller. At another level, it uses the most potent star presence in American movies, Clint Eastwood, to lay things on the line. If there aren't mentalities like Dirty Harry's at loose in the land, then the movie is irrelevant. If there are, we shouldn't blame the bearer of the bad news. So that was his point of view of this movie. I don't know if there's any rebuttals there. Rebuttals? I don't know. We're, <laughs> we're going to critique a historical critique. Well, I, I, I just think that from what your point of view sounds like is that you would disagree with his premise of being that movies aren't mirrors. No, <laughs> that's what his point uh, is. I don't think. No, I mean, I, I agree with that. I think that movies can be mirrors. Movies and art like Matt brought up can also instigate, maybe not change, but certainly mm -hmm. incite a reaction. Uh, sometimes that can be intentional or unintended. But there is a lot of re like dirty uh, Harry is aware of the legalities and his job responsibility. I mean, do, is that a sense we get from the way he's he a operates? loose cannon, Dave? He's a loose cannon. So then, what is he aware of? I feel like movies are like fortune cookies. You know, you can you can take oh. uh, you you can see them as a mirror and see yourself in them, or or you can just disregard it as like, oh, this is for everybody, or it's just a film or whatever. I don't know if that's no, I, I actually like that, but you know what's hilarious? In the uh, in the fifth Dirty Harry movie, he has he's actually sitting in a Chinese restaurant, and a bad guy comes in, and he like crushes up his fortune cookie. <laughs> he crushes up the fortune cookie and says like, "Looks like you're shit out of luck," and then shoots him. And it's like, this is the <laughs> dumbest thing. Wow, <laughs> that is happening. <laughs> wow. Okay, are we getting to Pauline Kale or Pauline Kale? Pauline Kale. Uh. She did not like this movie. The gesture at the end is a reprise of Gary Cooper's gesture at the end of High Noon, but with a difference. In high-minded High Noon, phony in its own way, Cooper the Marshal single-handedly cleaned up the outlaw gang and then threw his badge on the ground in contempt for the cowardice of the townspeople who didn't live up to the principles of the law and wouldn't help him defend it. Dirty Harry says that the laws are written by dupes who protect criminal rats and let women and children be tortured, and Eastwood throws his badge away because he doesn't respect the law. He stands for vigilante justice. If you go along with the movie, and it's hard to resist because the most skillful suspense techniques are used on very primitive emotional levels, you have but one desire, to see the maniac get it so it hurts. The movie lacks the zing and brute vitality of the French Connection, 
but it has such sustained drive towards this righteous conclusion that it is an almost perfect piece of propaganda for paralegal police power. The evil monster represents urban violence, and the audience gets to see him kicked and knifed and shot and finally, triumphantly, drowned. Violence has rarely been presented with such righteous relish. That is what she wrote. So basically, so that's I'm, position. I'm Pauline... And you're, I'm Ebert. You're like, Ebert. This is very, yeah, that is the division that we have here on this movie. Uh, but Matt, was there anything from either of those write-ups that you like agree with, disagree with? I think one thing I've learned, uh, and I've, I've known this for a while, is that I, I need to learn to have an opinion. Because I hear those and I'm like, yeah, you have your opinion. <laughs> cool. Awesome. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not like, oh, I disagree, Honestly, I agree or there's nothing. I just like... That's okay. why everybody likes you, Matt. Yeah, no. That's great. No, Matt, I mean, I... If you listen to very early episodes of this very podcast, you'll have the same criticism oh, of me, yeah. actually. I actually had to really force myself to be like, no, Dave, right. you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> because it was like, oh, everyone has their opinion. It's okay <laughs> yeah, if people yeah. have different opinions. But yeah, no, yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's just like, oh, yeah, that's a, that's very smart and clever and thought <laughs> yeah, out, and yeah. I agree with it. And then the next person says, oh, that's really smart, and that's clever, and I agree with it. So That's me. We're done here. All right, well, the... Machine has told us that we do have to wrap up here. So we should answer the two questions that we always try and answer on this podcast. Do you think this holds up and do you think it is still culturally relevant? Matt, how would you answer both of those questions? Jeez. I want to say it doesn't hold up. Um, mm. Whereas like if it was in theaters, like if it was a new movie that came out or something, people wouldn't be like, oh yeah, or maybe they would. Maybe it's like kind of with a Quentin Tarantino sort of violence. Yeah. Maybe. But no, 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 no. I, I, I think you're onto something here. I think that the movie as it stands, yeah. I'll just answer the questions myself here. Do I think the movie holds up? That's debatable. I think some of the lines are great. Eastwood is always charismatic. Yeah. So like I enjoy watching the movie. But yeah, like I think that there would be a way to make this movie now that audiences would want to go and watch yeah. rather than kind of like forcing them to watch this movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what was the second question? Culturally relevant. Do you think it still holds any cultural relevance? Not really. I mean, it's not... I don't really hear any stories about crazy serial killers nowadays. So... It's because it's all on television. That's where... Like, yeah, like every CSI so. show is about serial killers. It yeah, seems like yeah. Every episode. So I want to say no, but I'm sure there's stories like this elsewhere. Yeah. I know I'm split. I don't think the movie itself holds up necessarily. I do think there's still cultural relevance to it. And I always answer that question by like how, how steeped it is into our current culture. Like this is still quoted. Like people still make dirty Harry references. I mean, and maybe because it's Tarantino, but like there's been references to these movies and his own movies and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So I think that's how it keeps going on. So I'm, I'm split. I'm, I'm a no and then a yes, but how about Dave, what do you think? I think the base question that we've been arguing about is relevant because those are universal human problems right right wrong good evil uh, vigilantism versus law-abiding we did learn about the removal of lead so just so you know matt there is a somewhat contested theory but it is born through some statistical evidence that the reason one of the reasons why we got rid of lead in gasoline and paint and all this stuff is that even small exposure uh, can do a lot of psychological damage, including uh, aberrant, violent behavior and impulse control. And so what happened is once the lead came out of stuff within, what is it, Kyle, 15, 20 years, we started actually seeing a decline in serial killers or these violent Uh, things. Which is like, so they did that in like, 
the 80s. mid to late 70s, 70s, actually. So by the early 90s, that's why he has such a steep drop mm. in crime. Mm. And why the 90s are, look back on it such a great time because there was all this new stuff. Again, slightly contested as far as like if that's actually 100% true. I'm sure there's yeah. other factors yeah. that go into that. Correlation, but. not causation. But uh, I mean, there are still serial killers, uh, you know. Yeah. The only thing that I think might hold up is... And it's, this is just maybe nostalgia for 70s filmmaking, like the opening sequences using the panor, pano vision uh, camera work. Some, you know, the, that first 10 minutes, there's a sweeping moment where you're like, this is what made blockbuster films so good in that era. Yeah. Uh, I will say too, like the, the, I, I know it was the machine who had us watch this movie. I control everything. But it is uh, for sale for uh, $29 on iTunes for all five of the Dirty Harry films. And someone may have bought that just because like, oh, that's a, that's a good deal. Uh, the first three have been remastered. remastered. Uh, they've been remastered. And they look beautiful. They do have such a great transfer. And the fourth one looks like dog shit. Like, I don't know. Like, it's like, it's blurry. And it's like, uh, it's, it's, I don't know what happened to that fourth one. It's like, looks really bad. So in line with, is it culturally relevant? We talked about the two gorillas songs, yeah. the one called Clint Eastwood, which that's the, probably the biggest song. There is one called Dirty Harry. The one called Clint Eastwood doesn't really have anything to do with Clint Eastwood. No. Although the, the one with Dirty Harry apparently does reference some things in the Dirty Harry franchise. Just I don't know. I didn't do a guns. deep dive into that. No. Yeah. Talks about guns. As of 2010, Total Film, the magazine and website, included it on their 100 greatest movies of all time. It has also appeared on similar lists for TV Guide and Vanity Fair. For the American Film Institute, the film ranked number 41 on the list of best thrillers. Uh, Harry was selected as the 17th greatest hero. And the uh, do you feel lucky, well, do you punk line was ranked 51 for best film quotes. Uh, in 2012, the film was selected for preservation by the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. And it did spawn four sequels. So like super quickly, Magnum Force came out in 1973. And again, because of the way that this movie ends, I just kind of reject the premise that he's like just on the force and like now upholds the law and He's after a group of renegade cops who are going around killing people. I was like, but that's what you did in the first film. Anyways, there was a bit of cognitive dissonance I had for that sequel. The Enforcer comes out in 1976, and he's partnered up with, get this, a woman. I know. Shocking. Wow. This is where I realized that there's literally no continuity between any of these films. It's just like <laughs> the previous ones never happened. There's no character growth. So you might as well strap in and enjoy the ride because it's really this third one is filled with like, fun cheesy one-liners and sequences and stuff like that and that's all it is like he's just he's it's literally just a cop movie it's like an episode of law and order but like 90 minutes long sudden impact came out in 1983 my birth year uh this is the only one that eastwood directed himself and now harry is just this joke telling machine it's literally like as if a writer's room got together and figured out the best james bond lines to give people and just wrote it out like, he does not say a single thing in this film that is not a joke. Like, it's that, that's all it is. Speaking of which, just so that we're all... He was offered James Bond after Sean Connery retired. Yeah. Isn't that weird? And, and he said no, because he felt like it needed to be a British person. But Yeah, uh, see? Well, he was right. <laughs> Fascinating. The fourth movie, though, is the, where the line, go ahead, make my day, originated. So that's the other line that became super popular. Uh, the fourth movie started as a different movie that was supposed to star Sandra Locke, who would go on to basically be married to Eastwood for 15 mm -hmm. years. 
uh, but with like married-ish. Um, but then they like just put this Dirty Harry subplot in it. It's my least favorite of the entire series because it feels like that. It feels like he is shoehorned into this plot and he does not need to be in this movie. Uh, and then finally, in 1988, came The Deadpool. And it's kind of a comedy, basically. Again, he's back cracking jokes constantly. Uh, and this is where the phrase, opinions are like assholes, everyone has one, comes from. Yeah. To me, this is the one that feels like a TV movie or like an episode of Murder, She Wrote. Uh, not necessarily in plot, but in tone. Like it just it feels like it was a made for TV movie, not something that was like released in the theaters. Bad line readings, tedious exposition. Although you get to see a young Liam Neeson and an even younger Jim Carrey in it, though, which is kind of fun. So oh. those are the five movies. They never tried to make one without Clint Eastwood. I am going to guess this. This is my bold proclamation. If and when Clint Eastwood ever dies, they will make a revival of Dirty Harry in some way. Harry's over, back. Over, He's dirty. over his other movies? Instead yes. of his other movies, you think it'd be Dirty Harry? I think Dirty I think Dirty Harry has so much cachet that, yes, those will be remade before like the good, the bad, and the ugly or anything right. like that will be. Well, huh. those movies are a remade, you know. Well, yeah, they're a remake of a remake yeah, already. Yeah. So, <laughs> And Westerns still exist. So that's what Dave, Matt, and myself thought. What do you think? You can send any feedback to Machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. If you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterbox page, letterbox.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar a month. And of course, we do not want you to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. Something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. Matt, um, I always feel bad when we have a guest no, uh, because no, you enjoy this. I'm going to ask you what you would rate this movie out of five, but your rating doesn't matter. But what would you rate this movie out of five? Why does my rating not matter? Exactly. It's only Dave and I that we average <laughs> together to give the rating, no. uh, the true rating. Oh, true rating. Okay. I would give it a. Um, a lot is riding on this, by the way. We we have we have made a bet, but oh, so what are you going to give it, Matt? I, I was I was going between like two point five or three point five, but I'll just go three. Ah, damn! Bam! It. I nailed it right on the head, damn Dave. It. I told you. <laughs> I told we're, you it was going to be a he three. He swung both ways. I thought it was going to be under three, and mm. uh, Kyle gave it the flat three. He knows you very well, Matt. He wow. knows you very well. <laughs> Dave, what are you going to give this movie? I'm going to go half lower. I'm going to go two and a half. Um, as okay. much as I felt gross, there are some very interesting pieces sure. of mm-hmm. this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just, it's fun to watch criminals not able to count to six. I mean, it is the one character flaw. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? In this film. If only we could count, we would be able to, like, <laughs> get ahead of Dirty Area. Yeah, I definitely like this movie more than either of you do. I think that I am somehow able to distance myself from that icky feeling. Um, if we ever do get to the year 2007, Dave, we'll talk about uh, Zodiac and why that movie makes me feel gross after after watching it. So because of the Clintonness of it, because of the uh, the one liners, I'm giving it a four. Oh, my I'm God. Wait, wait, what did you give French French Connection? <clears throat> I gave it a three point five, Dave. Wow. <laughs> wow. So you yeah, just it, invalidated it your ability to critique films. <laughs> to, to critique yeah, films. That's awful. <laughs> the, the, the nice thing is that it doesn't uh, tie with anything here, Dave. Okay. So I can tell you conclusively 
that it is going to enter our list at the number four position. Now, again, we are not even, we're just past a quarter of the way through the year. So it's probably going to get pushed down there a little bit. Actually, I'm not uh, sure. Let's, I, I'm not well, convinced we'll 1971 has anything else. Matt, what's, Kyle, what's my uh, average score this year? Am I at a two yet? You are at 1.8 is your average score. Wow. <laughs> Jesus. My, mine on the flip side is 3.06. So. Wow. Well, let's, let's find out what we're going to be reviewing next week here, Dave. I'm going to push this button here. Oh, well, we're staying on the Clint Eastwood train because we're going to watch his directorial debut play Misty for me. So we get to get some more Clint Eastwood next week. Never heard of it. Matt, something we asked our other guest here who was on The French Connection is, because you are on the younger side, 1971, of course, is 50 years ago. I find, this is completely me and my own opinion, I find that a lot of younger people tend to not want to watch older movies. But for you, what is the oldest movie you can think of that you would consider great? Oh, wow. Um... The oldest movie that is great. The only thing I can think of is like the like Chaplin. Okay. So you've seen some of the Chaplin yeah. stuff? Yeah. I know I saw Gold Rush, but yeah. that was, I think that was just like the first uh, Chaplin movie I saw. Isn't there one with him like in a, an ice rink or? Um, yeah, it's called The Rink. Rollerblades? Yeah, The Rink. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that one. Uh, hmm. The other one is. I'm going to say, uh, but, I'll, I'll say Gold Rush. Okay. Great. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Final answer. If Matt, if people wanted to stay in contact with you and see what you're up to online. What's the easiest way for them to do so? Sure. I'm on uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, YouTube, I guess. Mm. Uh, Matt Mort underscore because someone else has Matt Mort. What? That seems unfair. Unfair. Yeah, I know. But you are Matt yeah. Mort. What the fuck? I know. There's a lot of us. Shocking. There's more of us. It's like the Spider-Verse. <laughs> yeah. Different versions <laughs> yeah. of you. <laughs> Dave, Dave, you want to come over here? I... You know, I've just been kind of upset that um, you haven't been cleaning up after yourself uh, very often here up on the spaceship, and I'm going to take action into my own hands. So, do you want to just come over by the airlock over here? I just have to tell you something over by the airlock over here. No. That bus was hot.